Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me one of the Hamptons' top producers, Angela Boyer-Stump. Angela, how are you today? Hi, John. Nice to see you. How's everything going? It's all going great. And now that you're on the program, I think it's even better. Uh, before oh. we talk about real estate, I'd like to talk a little bit about you, okay? Sure. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Southern Maryland, um, was born in Baltimore, Maryland, and then my parents moved to the Southern part of the state and uh, graduated uh, yeah, from Chesapeake high school. Bay in that area? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Was that? Yeah, about 30 minutes outside of Annapolis. Mm. It's really lovely there. It's really fabulous. I have to say the Hamptons uh, kind of surpass uh, the beauty in so many ways. Maryland and Annapolis are wonderful, but I think we have a, a, a little step up on them with the ocean and all of our bay beaches are so fabulous. Um, Annapolis is fun, but the Hamptons are better. Well, you, you know what, the, what I tell people a lot of times, here you've got people that have uh, celebrities and people with a lot of money. They could go any place in the world. And where do they come? The Hamptons. You got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, I know uh, you were a former model. Now, which agency did you work with, by the way? I was with Wilhelmina, and then I ended my career um, with Ford Models wow. in New York. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you a silly question. Did you segue from, from modeling into real estate then? I did. I Well, not directly, no. I started a health and wellness uh, company on Park Avenue. Um, kind of with, uh, at the time there were a lot of these kind of, I, I almost want to say multi-level marketing type companies that were selling vitamins and health. It's kind of at the beginning of the health trend where everybody all of a sudden really wanted to understand vitamins more. So I kind of dove into that, got very active with that. And then it was extremely time consuming and I wanted to start a family. And I thought, at the time, real estate might be the easy segue into enjoying life and having a casual side type relationship with uh, with work and family. And I quickly realized that I loved it and uh, it was not going to be a part time job. It would, it would start to dominate my life. I'm just so passionate about what I do. Well, that's uh, and it's obvious because you're one of the top producers out here. So I think that's that's really great. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I think we both started in the business um, way back when, and I can't recall exact dates, but I remember. I think you were one of my first uh, transactions. I think you were one of my first transactions, and and the uh, I think it was ninety nine. Somewhere around that time it frame. It was in the 90s, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's a yeah. memory, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> that was, I wish I bought that house. Yeah, and there I'm were, sure there were fewer, there were fewer agents back then. So we, we definitely, um, 
we definitely remembered who we worked with. And certainly on our first transactions, those are the more memorable, I think, right. of my career when I first started just meeting a lot of different people and, and kind of being in awe and not knowing things and people were kind of helping you. And it was a much, it was a friendlier a time, life. I think, to be right. an agent. Now it's a very, um, it's a very professional time now, very serious. It's much more corporate now than it was back in the day. Oh, that's true. Right, right, right. Because it was really like a lot of uh, mom and pop shops. Yeah, I was with a mom and pop shop. I was a very small boutique, uh, Hampton Country in Bridgehampton. I was the executive vice president for years there. Well, I quickly jumped to executive vice president. Um, yeah. And uh, and then jumped from there on to where I am now. Um, but yeah, it, it was, right. yeah, yeah. That is great. Um, what prompted you to get into to real estate? I mean, did, did somebody say, you know, Angela, you have such a great personality. Uh, you'd be great. Yeah, you know, not not that I had a great personality, but a girlfriend of mine, Renee Smith, who was a licensed agent at the time. She now lives in Colorado. Um, I said, you know, I, I'm trying to think of something I can do now because I'm ready to start a family. And she said, why don't you come and work with me? Let's do real estate together. And I met uh, Rob Camarino at the time and we uh, we talked and I decided, you know what? OK, let's let's try this. And it was kind of a natural fit. I loved it. Loved it out of the gates. That is that is really interesting. Did, uh, did you know him when he was the Commodore of the uh, Sag Harbor Yacht Club? I did. And I'm actually on the board at the Southampton Yacht Club now. Um, and so back in the day, I would do his Wednesday night races with him, kind of, you know, tag on the front of the boat and help crew for him. So, um, yeah, we we both shared that passion of sailing and being on the water. That is, well, what, what I never made it than... to Commodore. I never made it to Commodore. You never, but I am on the board. Is that something you were aspiring to? Is that what's going to no, happen? No, not really. It's a lot of work and it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's a great a title. It's I mean, a great title. It does sound very, very cool. And, does and like Rob you think of Vanderbilt. With, right? Yeah, well, Rob did it with the greatest of ease because he just loved being on the water. I actually didn't have as much time to dedicate to it. Who knows? Maybe it's in the future. Not sure. Who knows, right? Exactly. I'm still very so, active with the Southampton Yacht Club. I, I do a lot with the junior sailing program there. All three of my kids were um, were. Uh, did the sailing program and then went on to become instructors at the club, raced in the PGJSA tournaments, which are the local Peconic Gardeners Association uh, sailing races, regattas that they do. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of traveling to the North Fork and kind of going to all these darling little yacht clubs that people don't even know exist. Mattituck Yacht Club, Southhold Yacht Club, all of these places that you, you kind of see from the water, but you don't know that, oh, that's actually a yacht club. You almost think that some of these smaller clubs are people's private residences, but they're actually little yacht clubs. And uh, and it was great watching the children grow up on the water. And they have a lot of lifelong friends from from sailing in our bays. And then I went on to assist with um, helping the junior sailing program. And I still do a lot of their fundraising for them. Um, I do a weekly event, a weekly, an annual um an annual fundraiser that I run for the junior sailing program at the yacht club. And just, it's a great program for kids. Great program. It for sounds kids. like it. 
Well, you were fortunate enough not to have them get into horses because I remember my daughter, um, a neighbor said, whatever you want, uh, hope that she doesn't love the horses. And I said, why? She said, well, because my daughter, uh, I'm just traveling all over the place. You know, I'm going up island. I'm going out of state, you know, because she's going into all these competitions. So I think sailing is a little bit better. It's easier. It is. Was it easier? They, both, they both entail travel. But I have to say, we almost started with my daughter with the horse equestrian uh, journey, but she's yeah. actually allergic to horses. So... So, so you're blessed. That was, okay. that was just a nice expense that I got to not uh, not take on. Um, but right. sailing, you know, there's still a lot that goes into it. When these kids do these regattas, you're tying on their opties to the top of your boat and you're trailering their lasers to the regattas. And then somebody has to sit there with them all day if you're if you're at a regatta competition somewhere. And so it is time consuming from the parent in, in the you know part of it, the parental supervision is very hands-on with the with the sailing but um, but it's also an amazing opportunity for these kids to be out on the water and they're just they it gives them a level of confidence that I just haven't really seen other sports do for children and probably horse riding is very similar you're in control of of your vehicle so to speak you know they're in the right. boat by themselves pulling the boats in off the water, putting the boats in the water, rolling up their sails. It's a lot of work for these little kids and they put their heart and souls into it. It's really adorable. That, that, that's a wonderful thing you're, you're talking about. So let's talk about the, the Hamptons real estate market. We're now uh, going into the summer season. So uh, let's first talk about rentals. How do you see the rental market this year as compared to last? Oh, rentals. Oh, John, it's been a tough season. The um, we had a lot of inventory come on very early, uh, and I think part of that is because some of the some of the people that were renting pre-COVID bought during COVID, so now they own their homes, and because the Hamptons are known for being able to kind of rent your asset to get some of your money back out of your property, a lot of the people that purchased that used to rent no longer are looking for rentals because they actually own a home now. And then in addition to that, they're thinking, oh, well, maybe I can rent for a little bit and recoup some of my expenses. So you lost a little bit of a group of tenants and then those tenants actually became landlords. So you've got tenants that are landlords now, and then you have your landlords that have always rented. And then you just have the new homes that every once in a while, somebody will say, oh, you know what? I'm not gonna be here this year. I'm gonna be traveling, maybe I should rent. So the inventory on the rental market just kind of stockpiled and we had fewer people actually looking to rent. And we had pricing that remained consistent with COVID pricing. So you have higher pricing, lack of tenants, more inventory. And we're finally, as we start the summer, starting to balance out. Um, I don't think the pricing's come down as much, but I think that some of the homes have now accepted two-week rentals, four-week rentals, shorter-term rentals, compared to years past where we would put one lease together for Memorial Day through Labor Day, 
and the tenant would be happy and would be in that one home the entire period. I think the pricing has made it a little harder for people to afford being here for three, so would, three and a half months. Right. So would you recommend to a landlord that hasn't rented their house yet to, to lower the price? I I would say if you increased your pricing during COVID, you probably should be thinking about going back to pre-COVID pricing. If you're consistent with where you were before, then I would say you will probably rent. But, you know, kind of old old school real estate, it's almost always the price that's kind of stopping properties from renting. Um, we well, do have fewer tenants. Into sales. Let's, yeah. let's segue into sales because we got about a minute. Um, if we, uh, is that the same thing uh, that we were talking about with the rental market? Uh, you had mentioned earlier in our conversations that you think it's a fluid market. So can you explain that? Uh, I, I, I have I'm one agent in the last five weeks. I've put five homes in contract. Each one of those homes has had at least one some of them, two other buyers in the wings negotiating while I'm negotiating. So to say that that the market has slowed down, which some people are saying it's slowed down, I don't think the market has slowed down with sales. I think there's less no. inventory and it makes right. it harder to put those transactions together. But I think that there are still plenty of buyers. Um, we just don't have the inventory to sell to them. So if you're thinking of selling, I'm around. Love to help. Yep. <laughs> if you want somebody, you want somebody like you, how can they get uh, get in touch with you, Angela? Yeah, I have a, a website, hamptonsrealestateagent.com. Pretty easy to to remember. Or, you know, obviously they can... Uh, they can call me or, or go to the Sotheby's Realty website as well. Fantastic. Angela Boyer-Stump, it's such a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting here in the wonderful village of Southampton, New York, on WLIW 88.3 FM, the only NPR station on Long Island. Please stay where you are, since we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher, and today I have with me Frank Malia, who is the Division Manager of Contour Mortgages. Hi, Frank. How are you today? I'm doing great, John. How are you? Fantastic. I'm so happy and glad to have you back again uh, on the program. But let's dive right into the recent changes to the Federal Housing Finance Agency's mortgage pricing. Basically, these changes raised the cost for some good credit borrowers while comparing while making mortgage cheaper for low income borrowers can you explain this further absolutely john um i first want to just state you know any comments we make today on the phone you know on this call are are, are not commitments to lend so if anybody has any questions always call their local lender you know so they can get specific information uh there's a lot of um buzz right now in the media about um, you know, what changes were actually made. 
Uh, they were implemented May 1st, so they just became implemented. But most banks, so you know, or credit unions or lenders have been following these guidelines since March and April uh, because, you know, loans take 30, 45 days sometimes to close. Um, you know, so it, it affects everyone right. that closes a mortgage. Okay. You know, and the HFA uh, director, uh, Sandra Thompson, made a lot of comments recently. Uh, so there is some mis information out there that I'll clarify. Um, you know, Great. they're called LLPAs, you know, in the industry. That just means loan level price adjustments. And these have been around for years. All it basically means is that different people in different credit tiers, different um, uh, the way they qualify with their income uh, and the amount that they put down and the type of property, you know, has different types of adjustments. You know, most of your listeners and most of us in the real estate industry understand that, you know, you may face different you may face different rates if you buy an investment property because you don't occupy it. Uh, you may right. face different rates if you buy a co-op just with the structure, with a corporation and a UCC one. Um, so loan level pricing has been around for years. Uh, what's confusing a lot of people is that the media is notorious for just putting bullets out there, you know, so people click on their articles and the articles that I've read, you know, which I'm sure you've read and your listeners have read, have basically just said, you know, higher score individuals will pay more than lower score individuals and the higher income earners will subsidize the lower income earners. Um, right. I don't I've, agree. I've, I've, I've read that. You're absolutely right. Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no. I want this to be interactive, John. Please stop me at any time. Um, sure. You know, but it's it's false in the sense that it's it's not a science. What I'm saying is the industry, meaning the lenders in this country are still, you know, putting it really depends on the the actual person's circumstances. What I mean by that is there are there are some individuals, for instance, um, if someone has a credit score, let's say between 640 and 660. And that's considered fair credit, okay? And they put down 5%, which they're allowed to, you know, people have to put down 5% when they purchase a home. Um, you know, they may pay a loan level adjustment now uh, of 1.5%, meaning that that's just going to adjust how their rate is set. Where mm -hmm. prior to that, where prior to these new, um, the implementation of these rules, they might've been paying, a 2.75% adjustment, you know? So under that circumstance where you have someone in the fair credit, 640 to 660, they actually will be paying less over the long term, you know, because they're not having a 2.75 adjustment to their rate. They might only have a 1.5 adjustment. So that's definitely advantageous to that fair credit score group, okay? Mm -hmm. But then when you look at the higher credit score individuals, and let's say we have someone between 740 and 760, which is considered um, very good credit, okay? And they're putting down 20%, let's just say hypothetically. So if they put down 20% and they're in that very good credit, they're now going to face a loan level adjustment of 1%, where previously they were only paying 0.5 or 50 basis points in that adjustment. So that would actually cost them slightly more. Not the, the spreads aren't as wide as with the fair credit score individuals, 
But just so all your listeners know, this has been around for years. These adjustments have always been around. What I want to bring to everyone's attention, though, is the fact that the FHFA director and the federal government has made the spreads a little bit more favorable, in my opinion, for the lower scored individuals. You know, Mm -hmm. and what they want to do or what their intentions are, I believe, is just, you know, make housing and make first time home buyership more attractive uh, to individuals that might be putting down less as a down payment um, Mm -hmm. and might have that fair credit. Is it fair? That's a different question. Um, New York legislatures and legislatures around the entire country right now are trying to make some proposals to the federal government to try to stop this. Um, I'm still waiting to just see how this plays out, because when I speak to individuals, um, I'm not seeing it affect people as much as the media has made it sound. Right. Um, You know, so looking to sell papers, right? Well, yes, the media has always got that gotcha. You know, they want you to click. And if anyone knows they're on any type of social media, when you click on an article, it brings you to something totally different. So they're just trying to put these articles out there, I believe. You know, but I want all your listeners to know that, you know, there is some differences that are being implemented, um, but it's not as bad as the media sounds. You know, one media expert actually said on on radio that there's an unnamed expert. They wouldn't say who it was who's advising people to actually lower their credit scores so they would have better fees on their mortgages. That does not make sense to me. Um, I've never believed media where they say they have unnamed experts. So I just want all your listeners to be aware, you know, because people are calling banks and people are calling financial institutions saying, you know what? I might be better off if my scores drop. I don't believe that's the case. Like I said, it really depends on the type of property. So if it's a, you know, if it's a single family residence compared to a four family, if it's a condominium, you know, if it's a co-op. So there's so many different moving parts when the government and these agencies determine these loan level price adjustments that it's really hard for individuals, you know, prospective home buyers, people looking to reef. It's very hard for you and I even, or anyone that's looking for a mortgage to, to determine how these loan adjustments are going to affect them. Okay. So I would tell people just to stay where they are because credit drives a lot of different things, not just home purchasing. You know, it, it determines how much you pay for your car insurance, for your home insurance, you know, a lot of different individuals and companies look at our credit scores. So I never want anyone or, or your listeners to think that it would be better off to have that lower score. Um, you know, but it's really, you know, and the FHFA director, Ms. Thompson, you know, said she, you know, she's this, this the goal was really just to maintain support for purchase borrowers limited with income and wealth. Now, that's all over the media. There is this disparity, you know, that the media always puts out there between, and I've seen it between, you know, maybe lower income or lower credit individuals, uh, you know, having the opportunity to buy a home. But, Mm -hmm. you know, in my opinion, it's never been better to buy a home. Um, You know, we've seen how real estate prices have obviously appreciated over the years. Yes, interest rates have moved up. 
Um, you know, but you know, there are still opportunities for individuals. Um, and I just don't want people to think that these loan level price adjustments are going to affect them too much. You really have to speak with your lender. You have to speak with a local expert. You know, they'll run your credit. They'll look at your income. They'll look at the property that you're purchasing, you know, and, you know, the bottom line is, you know, if you have a higher credit score, you most likely will pay less with financing than you will with someone with a lower score, you know, and that's right from the words of the FHFA directors that have implemented these programs, you know, so yeah. I just want your listeners yeah. to know that it, it's, it's not yeah. a science. And I think there will be changes as we progress over the next couple of months. So we're not going to have many issues. Right. Let me, you know, you, and bring up something that I was just thinking about as you were uh, explaining that. What if you put a, um, because one of the things is that statistically, um, people that, you know, put in a down payment of like, say, 4% or less uh, have a higher uh, probability of uh, default as compared to people putting in 20%, like you said, as a down payment. What if you, somebody came along and said, you know, Frank, I want to put in 25% or 30%. Would that help in lowering any of these costs or or points, so to speak? That's a great point, John. Um, based on your first comment, I'd like to just make clear so your listeners know, you know, this does not affect FHA, VA, which is for veterans and rural housing loans. They have their own agencies and these loan level price adjustments don't affect them. So when someone does put down three and a half percent or three percent, which historically are FHA loans, or mm -hmm. if someone puts zero down, which are usually VA loans, they won't face these loan level price adjustments. These loan level price adjustments really affect the Fannie Mae and the Freddie Mac loans. So to answer the second part of your question, if someone does put down 25, 30 percent, you know, what puts down a, a much larger down payment. It's still going to be credit driven the way these loan level price adjustments. If you get into the jumbo market, and those usually are loans above a mil, eh, about a million eighty nine thousand right now on uh, the one unit purchase. So if someone's purchasing a single family residence and they're going to try to look to finance over a million eighty nine thousand three hundred. Um, that's the jumbo market. And then that's a, that's a totally different market as well. You know, the Fannie Mae and the Freddie Mac is the, you know, the, the not zero, but up to the conforming limits, you know, which right now is 726,200. So yes, they, they may not face any loan price adjustments with 25, 30% down, but if they don't have great credit, or credit scores that are maybe above 760, they may face some adjustments. Well, and very, you know, thank you so much, uh, Frank, for explaining all this. Um, a quick question. We've got like maybe 40 minutes. Um, the commercial market has been really on a, a tailspin, so to speak. Um, do you still uh, say an investor wants to go out, like you said, a four unit uh, uh, building? Um, do you, still have those kind of loans or is that difficult now? Good question. It's it's well, it's what's going on with the banking situation in this country. Obviously, it's on social media and it's on the moves actually today. 
Uh, it's all over the news because there are some regional banks. I personally believe in the regional bank structure because most commercial lending, most commercial loans are done by regional banks. Um, but I did hear some um, economists on on uh, CNBC recently, and I did listen to some some experts, you know, that say, you know, online banking is 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 the future. You know, so there are a lot of online banks that are going to be picking up some of this financing. And we still have the SBA, you know, through the Small Business Administration. Um, I think we will feel some pain locally and we'll feel some pain in this country with some of these regional banks. Um, and the reason, in my opinion, why these banks are. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I uh, you know, people want to ask you some more questions, you know, because I'm cutting you short. How okay. can they get in touch with you? Uh, the best way to reach out to me is just call me toll free 888-954-7463. Once again, 888-954-7463. Frank, it's always a delight having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting here in sunny Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station serving Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. Thank you so much for sharing your time and be sure to have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM, Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org radio.